Hi, I'm Dr. Kyla, paediatric dietitian, fussy eating specialist, and mum of two. I'm the founder of the online Mealtimes memberships that help parents just like you experience a confident and guilt-free way of feeding children. I'm also a business owner, a hot cross bun lover, and my superpower is finding things that you cannot live without. In this podcast, I'm talking about feeding your family, along with a random selection of topics that tickle my fancy. Welcome to Mealtimes with Dr. Kyla. Today's guest is my friend and colleague, Mandy Richardson from Raised Toddlers. We met on Instagram, which I want to ask you about, Mandy, if you remember, in the early days of both of our businesses, and we met up for bagels once, and the rest is history. She gets the challenges of toddlerhood particularly, and I still talk to her about my challenges quite regularly. Um, I can easily say that a lot of my confidence in parenting my children comes from her. So I am delighted to welcome her as the first ever guest to my podcast. I'm so excited. I, I really am so honoured that you would pick me to be your first guest. I absolutely, obviously love you as a friend and really, really respect the work that you do. So to be able to be in your life is just, yeah, a joy. Oh, you're the best. It's wild, isn't it, to think that you can meet somebody online. Like, I guess this is how we do friendships in the future. Well, currently is like you meet people online and you become friends. I met my husband online and we got married. So, you know, why couldn't we find friends on Instagram? It's amazing, isn't it? And it's so funny because, like, it sort of felt like I was like, hi, I'm Mandy, let's be friends, <laughs> like <laughs> on inbox. But to be honest, I saw something in, say, the post you did, and I think this is what happens organically, and I was like, I identify with her message. I I feel like she gets it. Like, we speak the same language, and I think that's what brings that sort of kindred you know, we're on the same mission together. Um, and I remember at first you'd be like, are we? Until we met up and started to properly talk, you know? You know, I was, because I remember when you first messaged me, I thought, because you used to be Ray's early years, and I thought you were like a childcare centre at first, like when I had read that, and I was like, oh, hey, like, I don't know, like I'm not going to do a free session for you or something if that's what you're thinking about. <laughs> and I like actually so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's so good, isn't it? The journey of even business and branding and all those sorts of things and how you refine yourselves. And that's that's exactly right. Like I think it was quite a few people who did go, oh, is this an early childhood centre type thing? Um, so it's really cool to see both, you know, the journeys unfold with how we do business and how we support our sort of specific area, you know, of people that, that are in our, we're in their corner, we've got their back. Yeah, and I love being part of that kind of dream team for lots of families that like my messages really link into yours. They're like an easy, you know, we speak the same language. I think that's a really great way of kind of talking about it. And when you find people that speak your language, you just want to stay with them, right? You want to. Well, that's the thing. And I think if for families, they can feel that there's a familiarity there, like I, oh, that sounds like that matches, you know, that that's not conflicting. And I think that's the biggest thing when I became a parent is that feeling of things conf like on searching online, things being contradictory. Yes. Yeah. They need to sleep for this much time, but then they need to be awake, but then you need to do this. And how am I going to do that? And it's, yeah, it's wild, isn't it? it All right. Well, let's talk mealtimes. Specifically, so I'm going to throw you um, in at the deep end. I've separated this podcast into three parts: an entree, main, and a dessert. So my entree part is I'm really interested to hear about your experiences of meal times, specifically as a kid. So do you want to kind of tell me what meal times were like in your household growing up? Set the scene for me. Yeah, sure. I loved like thinking about this and considering, you know, just trying to remember what is it that I remember. Like we all have stories, but. 
you know, you sort of try and really cast your mind back and think, oh, if I was this little kid, what was I doing? And I think, to be honest, one of the main things that stands out to me is for our family, food and family and celebrations were always very important. So wherever there was a celebration, there was good quality food. And whenever we gathered, there was food. So food was a really part of us socially um, as a family, you know, with extended family as well. But with our day-to-day -day life as a family, I just remember it being quite uh, casual. Like it was, it, it definitely, I don't ever remember being a very formal family where we all sat around, um, you know, with our little like, you know, I don't know, like really like cost, I'm not that old, but I, I never really felt like we were sitting around, like had to be really still. I felt like if anything, our meals were often, you know, just maybe outside. I remember a lot of sort of meals, sort of outdoors, picnic style, um, maybe on our lap as well. Like it wasn't always the dining room table. There were times it was the dining room table, but usually it was quite sort of, yeah, like I, even us kids would maybe be around a smaller table and my parents might have it on their lap. So it was quite a casual sort of way of, of, of just eating, especially in the evenings. Um, and I don't really have any memories of necessarily a negative association with mealtimes. Like I don't remember ever being sort of made to eat my veggies or if I didn't eat my veggies, I wouldn't get an ice cream. Like it was sort of just, you know, you eat, there was no real, like you have to scrape everything off your plate, which is quite interesting considering I was born at a time when that was quite common, I think. Yeah. And I also- You're a fussy kid, do you think? Um... I don't think so. I well, I wasn't. I don't really even remember if any of my siblings were more than another. But I I was pretty pretty much remember eating most things. I remember definitely saying like I've got this vivid memory of being at a barbecue with family and my dad saying that we're having prawns and I remember him offering me a prawn. And I remember straight away going yuck like no that's gross. I don't like prawns. And I do remember him saying just have a go and if you don't you know. If you don't want to finish it that's fine and i remember eating the prawn and since then and the certain type of prawn it's like basically like a peri peri chili type nando's prawns really you know it's like <laughs> an african type of recipe that was well known to to do your prawns really spicy and then do them on the barbecue and since then they are my, my favorite meal in the world i say to my dad every birthday i have or christmas if he's got time i'll say can you make the prawns so it's sort of funny that the thing I was like, I absolutely won't try. That was something I, I started to love and I love to this day. So there definitely were those times where they would say, have a go and sort of push us to like, not push in a bad way. Like if you don't, you you know, you won't get yeah. something. But just also, you know, let us be exposed to different things that we might not have just stuck to the only thing that they knew we would eat. So I think that adventure is why don't you just get exposed to it and see if you'll eat it. But I also don't remember ever being really told that's enough so it's sort of really like when i look at the two extremes i feel like we were somewhere in the middle pretty casual yeah like i've got fairly good memories about growing up with food you know what do you remember eating regularly for dinner as a kid i i think our family was uh sort of not as prescriptive as monday's spaghetti bolognese tuesdays which my husband said they had their menu but we did have meals that were quite recurring so like I do have memories of, you know, learning to cook spaghetti bolognese with my dad and I still use that recipe or like uh, sort of, you know, mash and veggies and a meat, you know, it's always, always like 
not really many saucy foods that's one thing i remember in terms of like curries or and that's something when i met my husband i was like oh i don't really think i've had tiger and curry or anything like that before so we just didn't really have a lot of rice with saucy sort of chicken and like you know spicy type food necessarily it was usually like your meat vegetables and a, a lot of carbs like i actually think probably even meat and carbs <laughs> were like yep. the go-to's well, especially like and, and and a lot of red meat, to be honest, because in South Africa, you basically like at four months old, you tease on biltong. Like it's just it's just something that you're really familiar with. So it was like chops, you know, steak, sausages, like a lot of red meat. So it's, it's you know, an interesting one, I think. Are they things you enjoy now? They are. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I yeah. love steak and probably more steak and um, then like over other, you know, chops or sausages or anything like that but I, I would say a family barbecue you know with the extended family is like an every second week type things you know Love so. It. so interesting and I do think you kind of mentioned that bit about like your parents encouraged you to have a go and I think that's like a reasonable strategy for kids who are not particularly fussy right for kids who do like naturally have quite an adventurous way with food or not bothered, like actually like do you want to have a taste of it is a reasonable thing. And you might have heard like people listening might have been like, oh, Kyla always says like don't make them taste it or don't ask them to try it. And often that applies to those kids who actually do find eating more challenging. Do you know if I if I asked my six-year-old to try something now, that would make her even less likely to try it in the future because she's just that like, bit more anxious, bit more reserved around food, like very cautious. She wanted to have the day off school yesterday because they were having a sausage sizzle and she can't stand the smell of sausages. So she like, was like, no, I can't go to school. So she wouldn't have done well with that. But, you know, there are some kids who do actually do okay with a little prompt. And you're so right because I obviously I'll talk a little bit about the way our children go with food and it is so interesting. Same family, same way of presenting food, three different completely ways of engaging with food and that's really important I think because and it's also interesting because the parent like we tune into what our child can be like but then it's also being really aware that when we know a child may not want to it's about not forcing but sometimes we then also don't expose because we feel like that, that, that you know that feedback loop becomes oh well then they would never eat that so I'll just keep serving the thing they always eat yes. and that's an interesting one to reflect on and be like well is it the chicken or the egg? Like what's going on here? And, and and how is it that we can at least see what's going on by maybe not, not offering it because, you know, and I think it's more gently offering it with those sorts of kids where maybe they just are near that thing, you know, yes. like, like I'm, I don't know if she had a day of school, but I'm sure she didn't. Like <laughs> She didn't. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> you know, like that, even though they didn't touch the sausage or even be near it, they smelled her cooking. So yeah, definitely counts, which kind of leads us like nicely into our main dish here. Tell me about your experience of mealtimes as a parent now. So what are mealtimes like in your house with three kids? Yeah, I would say it's changed as they've like grown and also I think becoming more aware of different things myself. Um, I think, you know, as they were younger as well, like I've got my, so I've got two in primary school just for context and one who's still a toddler at home with me, like most, you know, most days apart from a couple of daycare days. Um, but when I had all the, like the older ones that were younger and I had like a toddler and a baby, I, I felt like our meal times looked so different because I wasn't necessarily like working as much as I am now. And so there was a lot more 
variety and preparation and I just enjoyed that was part of being home with them so whereas now I do feel like we've gone into everyone gets fed but it is quite simplified which which is good as well you know um so I'd say um ways we connect as a family is I would say most of our meal times together are actually breakfast so we do do meal times together at night but maybe not you know not as often as we'd have our meal around say our dining room table at breakfast and share that meal together and I would say as a family nearly all of my children like nearly all of the offerings for breakfast which I think maybe I enjoy as well that they'll eat scrambled eggs they'll eat poached eggs they'll they'll try you know porridge or we'll have just cereal or pancakes like it's it's actually something there's not many times they'll be like oh like oh not that today you know like they yeah, sort of nobody's whinging at breaking yeah so and then dinners I'm also not like a huge cooking person like I I'll, I like eating I way prefer other people prepare food for me <laughs> and I must say my husband's actually great in the kitchen so he will like you know if and if he's round with work that means dinners look different so if it's if it's a me in charge dinner it's definitely like you know I'm all for some crumb chicken and uh, some veggies from the freezer and some you know like I piece together you know some pretty basic stuff for them which is also on the days I've been working and quite busy but if we're going to have a meal together as a family it is probably our favorites would be sort of pastas with like some sort of sauce whether it be a creamy chicken type pasta or a bolognese type pasta or really your rice I love curries now so like rice and you know a mango chicken or a Thai green curry or and um and then maybe we would go to sort of yeah, like a red meat of some sort. My kids aren't huge red meat fans, which is interesting. None, none of them really are. The middle child maybe a bit more, but um, maybe chops they will eat, but not hugely happy with steaks or more so now that they're getting older, but definitely younger. It's just, it's a lot of effort for them. To yeah, choose. how do they go with a curry? Well, the funny thing is, I would say our favorite family meal at the moment is tiger and curry. So every week they request that. And I was thinking about why, like, why is that their favorite at the moment? And I actually think it is because it isn't always served as here's your, your whole curry bowl. Like it, it, we just, it's a deconstructed offering all the time. So there's a bowl of rice, there's the sauce, there's some chicken that you can add to, you know, that isn't all mixed in the sauce so that they can have just some grilled chicken um some sour cream which is always the hit like i'm talking like like spoonfuls some of them i reckon have a papadum and spoonfuls of sour cream on it and that's it yeah. <laughs> like a sprinkle of rice but yeah it's something that and, and lots of like sort of sliced capsicum my kids have always in their lunch boxes quite enjoyed like raw veggies like broccoli carrots tomatoes they just like sort of salady type veggies and so that's something i'll often offer on the side of a meal that's sort of a curry and a sauce because they will tend to pick those rather than like when they've been cooked like a snow pea cooked to them is like whoa like they're really not a fan <laughs> you know it's like slime. I think it's a really common childhood thing like the crunchy kind of sweeter veggies raw are often easier for kids than a kind of mushy or yeah saucy well, it's amazing how much that texture does change and then they've got a figure out what that that's like and whether that you know even if the the sort of carrots have been cooked that bit too long then they're like really are around carrot but that's mushy whereas if they're even slightly less you know cooked they sort of like oh it's a bit crunchy still I don't mind it so it's quite an interesting dynamic but yeah it's just I, I think it's um we just try to keep special you know working and picking kids up from daycare and that end of day run we know the days where we don't try and make a big deal and stress ourselves out about it um we still do 
connect together at some, you know, even if me and um, Kieran aren't necessarily eating with them, we'll sit. And one thing we've always done is sort of like highs and lows where we just say, you know, what was your high of the day and your low? And it's been hilarious because we've done it probably since the first was maybe two and the, the you know, the second bond was like 10 months. And then as the second bond started to sort of say, my, you know, my low was this or my high was that. Obviously, she didn't say it like that, but she just would say, my low, my low, over and over again. And it just became this hilarious joke, like my low, like, yeah. you know, um, that, yeah, it still sort of happens where we'll be stuck on someone saying my low and I'm like, get on with it. Like, what was your low? <laughs> so that's when they sort of share what, what was, you know, a part of the day that wasn't that great, a part of the day that was great. And the funniest thing as well is their lows that they share are just... Just so, so, like, I think Farah yesterday said something like, um, my high, it's always linked. It's like, my high was doing ballet, my low was, like, doing ballet. And we're like, um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> cool, that so it was fine. good at that. One part of ballet that was great and one part that wasn't great. But it is funny. I mean, you do a similar thing, right? So you know what I mean, how it's quite sweet. Ours is, our high, or please is, my favourite part of the day is, and then she'll pause, going to Nanny's house. And I'm like, we didn't go to Nanny's house today. <laughs> She's like, my favourite part yeah. of the day is, I'm like, okay, going to Nanny's house, got it. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, and I'll repeat that for weeks. Yeah, it's so sweet. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's funny. What time do your kids generally have dinner? So this is something we've come to an agreement on because like my hubby grew up in a family where they ate super early, like really like five. And I would say with our casual family life that we grew up in was more like 7.30, you know, like, I mean, like, shouldn't we be sleeping by then? Like, yeah, but <laughs> what were my parents doing? Go and do family hangouts with his parents. It's always like 4.35. When we go to do family hangouts with my parents, he's like, I'm starving. And I'm like, I'm sure we'll start the barbecue soon. It's like 7.30. So <laughs> it's just a family thing that, so we've sort of come where we do eat between say 5.30 and 6.30, but I would say probably closer to six as our, um, you know, majority. And especially I think seasonally as well, like now that it's sunny outside and things, we'll often dinners maybe a tiny bit later because they're outside enjoying like, you know, the light sort of thing until, you know, we come in or we'll have dinner out there on, on the table, the patio outside. I love it. Do you plan your menu in advance, what you're going to be eating for the week? We have gone in and out of that. Like I am just, you know, sometimes in the zone of like everything in my life so planned and sometimes in the zone in one area is planned and everything is a hundred million percent unplanned. So I wish I could say I'm like an every single week meal planner. I've actually got a really great friend of mine and we're like opposites and maybe that's why we really work well together. Um, and like sometimes I've sort of bumped into her, her having coffee like on her own, like for her own time. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm meal planning for the whole week. And I'm like, that is so like a, such an awesome thing to do that it actually refreshes you and you feel so on top of it. But it's also so interesting because it's fully mum life in while you're having mum free time, you know, like it's sort of like, yeah. And yeah, I, I love when I'm on it like that, but it's not common for us to have a full schedule sort of starting Sunday to roll out the whole week. We have a general idea and we definitely have takeout. That's one thing that never changes. Thursday night's takeout night. And it, it always was when I was growing up and my husband's and it, and it just is for, for our family, you know, like sometimes that means we order in chips, but we've got 
half the other stuff here, but they get they get in something and they quite they quite look forward to that. And it's just become a bit of a ritual because Thursdays are really busy as well. So I love that. I feel the same about the menu stuff. Like when I'm on, I'm on. Like and it's so rewarding to like know what's for dinner tonight and not have to go and get like 10 ingredients that I've forgotten or like, oh, we can't possibly have this because we have no sour cream left or whatever it is. But then other weeks is like, wow, what are we going to do today? This is wild. And that's why sometimes in this phase in particular, I find like there's certain things in the pantry that are like are lined up for a while, like, you know, like coconut cream and like a few things that I just know I can like at least get some form of what that meal would usually look like if I've forgotten everything else, you know, like, which is nice. And then there's the times we're making something that we really like that needs all the little like bits and pieces that make it really pop. Like that's, you know, that's one of those special occasions usually these days. Full on, isn't it? Like just that you have to plan something every day of your life like as a parent. <laughs> and then like the, the frustration of times where you do that and nobody seems to eat, you know. <laughs> I went to all this effort such a thing isn't it like the more effort you put in I feel like the more you set yourself up for frustration or disappointment because you know actually trying to cook for other and please other people I'm like the same with my kids and also my husband like he is an ex-chef and so when I cook something and we're eating it I'm looking at him like what's the feedback like and it better only be positive feedback like where's my gold star here because you know and if he doesn't like it it's hard not to be resentful Whereas you're better off cooking for yourself, right? Plan something that you want to eat. It really takes time. It really does. It takes so much time. And that's exactly right. And I think now, like, just that embracing that whole concept of, like, the Thai green curry thing, that's, like, something I really have learned to, like, like started to enjoy, especially because I didn't grow up with it. And so I'm like, well, that's on the menu because, and, and it's funny how by being on the menu, I do think the game changer was that it's always often deconstructed, like I said, yeah. though. I do think if I was trying to serve a bowl of, fully prepared Thai green curry with all the bits that it would be a completely different experience. So yeah, my children definitely would not eat that, but they would eat the different parts of it. Yeah. It's interesting. What is one food that your kids will not eat despite you offering it regularly? So this one I find interesting because I think it's, it totally is that there's three different kids being in the same household and, and no matter what like without done anything perfectly right or perfectly wrong or whatever it is like it's that some of their temperament comes into it significantly temperament and development so like um our firstborn has never really been a fan of sauce so any sort of sauce not just sauce from like i say a tomato sauce bottle but a saucy food so everything's quite dry like and I would say she would used to like smash her like spaghetti bolognese like off the high chair like right down her like as I remember it being a thing we were like oh my gosh she loves it she's like lick it up off the and that was up until maybe 16 months and then literally until like maybe she was eight never ever touched sauce again like it was just and and it would be offered she would say things like like you said your daughter says where it should be like the smell she would even like say can you please move one seat down she would say at school if someone was next to her and they had some like sort of saucy thing in like a container, especially if it sat there and then it's open, she'd be like, oh, it's so overwhelming, the smell. Like, so she's still being quite a compartmentalized, dry, like she'll, she'll go for thickened things like, like sour cream or yogurt, but it's just the thinness, I think. Our firstborns are very similar, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. And so, and like I said, the exposure's been there. It's not like we haven't, you know, 
like had it on offer. And then our middle child, I would say there is actually not something I can think of that she hasn't tried or eaten. She is just so open to trying anything. Nothing's really put her off. Like she's gone through tiny little patches where the only thing, which is so bizarre for me because all my other children get bread if they don't eat anything else. Yeah. <laughs> like as in, their safe food from a young age has always been like a little bit of something carby like that. Yeah. She just won't eat bread. Like she just doesn't, you know, so if there's sausage in a bun or anything, she'll take always the bun away. So, so that's probably her only thing that she, she'll still eat it, but she would probably prefer not or if I say in the morning like there's egg and toast she won't have the toast it's just her natural default and to be honest I actually do think she does we've lent towards investigating a bit of gluten intolerance so it's funny like her body knows that's not something that I like because of maybe what it feels like afterwards like I've never really put that together enough to go oh I think she's just really in tune with what feels yeah so that's been interesting because it's only been really the patterns only started to emerge, which I've heard can happen a bit later. I, I don't know the specifics of it, but um, it's becoming harder and harder for her to have that and then feel comfortable. So I think there's something there. And then the toddler, I would say, is just in very, very strong toddler, like fussy phase, because I would actually say, I don't know even if she eats at the moment. Like that's what it feels like. Like it feels like we're in a patch where I'm like, do you eat like you get offered things and then or that real extreme um, experience of devouring something and then never touching it again for weeks or never touching something and all of a sudden eating it when it's offered so we keep offering the same things like if the family's having tiger and carry the same things are on offer but yeah i think yeah she just defaults to asking at the moment for macaroni cheese like that's just the thing she's defaulting to so it's tempting. It's tempting to serve a macaroni and cheese every single day for every single meal because then I know she's getting something in her. But it's, yeah, it's just trying to keep offering those things. Like she's just gone back onto Apple now, which is good because, yeah, I just felt like for a while there the plate was had the things and not, not even a bite, I reckon, sometimes. It's hard. It's a roller coaster, isn't it? We're deep. I feel like we hit this a bit later with Cleo now in kind of heading into three-year-old territory it's kind of peaking more I feel like we've got quite yeah, a I would say I haven't really noticed it as much and now it's in the three-year-old phase so it's an interesting I remember these things but when you're in them again you're like wow this is actually quite challenging like it is the narratives that do come up for you are like you know they they do make you question like oh like is she- this the right way am I doing yeah. enough or is she, you know, like getting enough nutrients or like, you Is she going to have scurvy? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> she won't. She's good. Yeah, it's it's good. interesting. It's such a roller coaster, though. And I think you're right, this idea that kind of those easy foods, it, it is really tempting to give that all the time. And I think it's you don't want to fall into a trap of doing that all the time. I think you want to use it strategically, right? That yes, you can reassure yourself that sometimes there's a full meal being eaten of those things, but actually your job isn't about, you know, finding that one magical food and then offering it so often that, you know, that child doesn't want that anymore because they've just had macaroni cheese too much, you know. It's 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 a it's hard to trust the process in those times. That's what I was going to say. It's the trust because even like I said, like there was a patch there where I would like um, say my husband had her 
has her Wednesday mornings and then I have her Wednesday afternoons. So sometimes she just do that little trade over. Like, and he's like, well, she's basically been offered things and not eaten. Like she, he sent me some photos recently, even of like, you know, like especially the breakfast like i said we really like breakfast so there'll be like scrambled eggs and maybe some raisin toast and maybe some yogurt so there's like quite a bit of an offer and and they're just all lined up next to her and not nothing like it's just been and, and not a copious amount but you can just see usually she would be given into one of three you know yeah. and then and then i've had her for lunch and be like well she hasn't touched anything either and then dinner's come around and she has and i'm like oh like and then like it'll be like two days later she'll like be a little bit unwell like snotty or and i'm yeah. like it's almost like, and then after that, she'll just be like, reload, like loading up again. And I was like, well, it's funny how that trust aspect of like, she knew something was up, like she wasn't feeling up to it, like the appetite goes for, you know, and that's just some of those things that sometimes in hindsight, I go, she knew what was up, like, it's fine, you know. Such a great point. And I think though it's harder to see those all in context, isn't it? Or see them all together. It is easier to focus on the things that aren't going well. So you don't sometimes see the compensatory stuff or you don't sometimes see that that was because she was getting sick or that was because she's in a slower growth period. And it is hard, especially if you have had a tricky eater or she's been tricky for a while. It's hard not to see the positives too, like in that whole process. It totally is. Yeah, it is. It's sometimes just having to put your eyes it, like flip the script a bit and look for the the things that sh- they are doing you know and that's the same yes. as like in the work I do it's, it's it's really easy to see the things that are going wrong so it is hard to go actually let's really take another assessment of the day in a different perspective and actually see that yeah they're going to be okay you know and that, that development driving it as well like knowing in toddlerhood if I didn't know that and especially like that first time around when I didn't really have some of the understanding I have around toddler de- development now, I was much more stressed. So I think when you understand that there's development driving some of these things, it's like, okay, like this is all good yeah. to like soothe ourselves, you know? Yeah. And I think knowing that knowing that normal thing, right? Knowing it's normal that when they're sick, they're not wanting to eat. And when they're going through these toddler phases, there can be days of almost nothing. I think there's been definite days where, my kids have like licked the sour cream off something and that is literally all they've had, you know, for dinner. And that is part of childhood eating, really. Or like ask for lots of water or something else, like which I think is interesting as well. So, yeah. It's wild, isn't it? Something in another form, you know? Yeah, so good. All right, we're going to move on to the dessert. This is the final bit. And this is kind of where I'm, I want to talk to you more about the things that um, I guess we have in common or the things that you've helped me with and I'm interested to hear from you but um I've asked for your help many times over the years (laughs) and probably like the one thing that really stands out to me at a time when you gave me some advice it was quite a game changer and I don't know if you remember but it was we were having real struggles with my then three-year-old about anything that needed her cooperation and so that was like getting into the bath getting out of the bath getting into the car wearing a hat, wearing sunscreen, packing away, you know, like anything that she had to be actively involved in was hard. And I had learned from you, I think, you know, like you and Janet Lansbury, my um, two uh, parenting gurus, is that like I don't want to be repeating myself regularly. Like it's not my job to ask her 25 times to get into the bath and also that I want to have kind of a predictable boundary or like a predictable, you know, what's going to happen next 
And that was really important. And particularly at a time I was either about to have a baby or just had a baby. So life was like really tricky for her, you know, had changed a lot. Do you remember this this scenario? Yes. And a familiar one, like across the board as well. Yes. And this is one of the things like I did not feel alone in this. I was frustrated and like sick of it, but I wasn't thinking, you know, this is just me in this situation because I think I'd heard enough from you that, you know, and I'm well aware I'm about to start this phase again um, <laughs> with my with my second child. And I felt like we were falling into this habit of like trying to bribe her or trying to reward her. Like, if you don't get in the bath, you're not going to do this. And it really felt yuck. And I remember talking to you about it. Do you remember what you told me? Yeah, I think I do. I think that's something I would probably still share, like to anyone going through a similar situation is I guess, like you said, you were aware this is what toddlers do. You were aware this is what three-year-olds do. You were aware that with a change in their lives, they'll tend to push boundaries a little bit more and things like that. But what I think I remember reminding you of is like, is what they're looking for in you when they're doing that as well. So like when they are pushing all those boundaries, they're not just doing to wind you up. Like they are usually seeking for a very clear boundary, but not one to be repeated, like you said, over and over again, but to be helped to progress towards it. But what comes up when we help them to progress towards it is usually some form of what feels like a power struggle where it feels like you need to take charge or or a version of control or bribing because you're like well now it's just the strong like strong pushback that's like smart right because they're three as well so it's different when they're like one and you're like or 18 months and they're like we don't want to and you're like i'm gonna help you and you pick them up and you know that sort of thing but when you've got a three-year-old that can go really like like that can go downhill pretty quick, right? So I think- They can thrash like nobody's business getting into yeah, the bath. Yeah, and then really like, are they having a bath when really like you're just having a bath because they're just kicking the water out and everything. And yeah, <laughs> and I think we talked a little bit then about there's probably two areas I'd go down the path now, but back then we talked probably about this whole concept of co- like confident leadership or confident momentum as opposed to, power struggle and there is a difference and the biggest difference is the confidence in the parent of knowing what you need right now from me is to for me to help you by with confidence helping you to follow through and that you're actually okay to fall apart and whatever it looks like but when they feel confidence that I'm really sure of this boundary it's such a different response from the child than when they feel us panicking or trying to like hope it all goes smoothly. I, I think I almost said to you, well, what I would do is start to expect that her job right now is to push so hard against you, but she's really, really looking for that that narrative in you that's, I, I would say to you when I went through it, I would literally talk myself through the boundary before I did it. Like I'd be like, it is bath time. It is, this is what it's gonna look like. I'm gonna say it once. Like I would talk myself through that before I even spoke to my child. Um, and the second part to that is, is is what they're looking for when they push the boundary is when we come in confidently they can rest for starters but the second thing is when they're at their worst and pushing at like their most is when they're needing us the most so that whole concept of trying to connect through that as well so confidence when we say well it is time now but then also trying to engage in some form of connection whether it be like a challenge like a a three-year-old loves like a challenge like or a you know, something a little bit less than will you walk or will I carry you because they've gone beyond that by that stage, but something that seems a bit more like, you know, I don't, I wonder like, 
I don't know, who will get there first or something that feels a little bit more, or I wonder if you'll be finished washing your, your armpits and giving some like um, saving face, I call it, before I even get there, you know, like so that it feels like they are in charge again, like they are, you know, so it's just like, well, my mum and dad are confident, I can rest in that, and secondly, they're connecting with me and I can, I can get on board with that. And that's hard to do when it's the end of the day and all you want is for them to mother flipping bath like and then go to bed, you know? Like, I mean, hard emphasis on the bed. was there anything else that I would have no, said? No, that's oh. exactly. And I think the one of the confident assurance was the word that you used with me and it was like you're envisioning in your head it continuing on you're not thinking okay what's my plan b what's my plan c if these things don't work and I feel like I have naturally embodied a lot more of that with my second child is like I know you don't want to and this is what we're going to do and I'm going to kind of like almost like create the whirlpool where you come along with me on this thing and it's okay to push back, but I'm, we're still kind of going ahead. That's and I do funny reckon it sounds so funny, but I, I cannot tell you even from a mum's perspective, like with that, especially my firstborn who was really strong willed, like how common it is for us to firstly try and avoid any upset feelings or want them to just be compliant all the time. Like I think all of us would way prefer that, right? Oh, just, so much easier. But or try and be at their beck and call to keep the peace. So like, I remember this one time, it's sort of similar, like when I first learned this whole concept of confidence assurance, like we'd drive home and one day we drove past the fountain. And I think you talked about this in your stories recently about the one day you did something like, <laughs> and every day, and this is after school, she had started kindy and it was after school where there's usually gonna be the worst of them, the pushback, the reconnect to you, the need for a boundary to feel safe because they've been away from you all day, all the things that we also just wish we could go have like a little yeah. cuddle in the park, but like, that would be a funner way of connecting, but no. Like, <laughs> um, and she just like every single time we go in the car, the second minute, fountain, fountain. And I think this fountain, we've picked something up. So it's like 40 minutes away or something in the complete opposite direction, or even if it was five minutes out of the way, we're not doing that every day. Like, but I would try either avoid the conversation and talk about other things like, um, is the traffic light going to change? And I think we do all these things, you know, thinking, but that is, that's not really purposeful, like even engagement in, in play in, on that topic. It's just distraction. And there is a difference between like attachment play and purposefully leading in to connect with them and just distracting them. There is a definite difference as well. So I, um, I remember thinking, I've got to let her know that this found something isn't going to be a daily situation like so I want to be clear I want to be confident but I, I replayed in my head no matter what the, res the response would be would she kick the chair would she release all her feelings which she probably was asking to do every day when she asked for the fountain and I kept trying to get us around <laughs> peacefully and I remember just such a how much of a game changer it was for me to first feel a real boost in my parenting because I was like oh it can be hard and I can still feel in, in charge without being controlling sort of thing yeah. I just said, I really know you love that fountain. You just wish we could see that fountain every day. Like it was really special for you. And I'd lent in and empathize and acknowledge where she was at. And then I said, you know, and we, we're not going to be going past that fountain every day after school. And then like I, you know, but I, the only reason I think I'd said that before, I probably said yeah. it in a really explanatory way. The biggest difference was I wasn't rattled inside. I was really sure. I said, you can be, I, I actually say this often to my children, you can actually be as upset as you need to be. And it's okay. It's okay if you need to cry, which is so funny because as a parent, the opposite thing is it's okay. Don't cry. You don't yes. need to cry. 
And I, I can't believe how often I now say, it's okay if you need to cry, it's okay if you need to be upset. And then I'll often, you know, I can't let you hit the, kick the chair or whatever it is. And she did do like opposite of what I thought. She didn't have a big thrashing tantrum. Should have just was like, huh, thanks for finally telling me what I've, you know. <laughs> and she just settled right down. I don't think she ever asked for that fountain again. So it's just an interesting one because it feels like nothing really different happened. The narrative is where you're at, what they're getting from you, what clarity are they getting from you. That is what a child feels. So even when we sound really strict and underneath is not any form of confidence, they don't still, you know, respond to that. They might just feel a little bit more nervous, scared, giggly, stress response, but they're not settled and it is different. And I think that really helped so much um, with like, yeah, that confident parenting, I guess. And I mean, still, it's something I have to take myself away and do a little pep talk, you know? Sometimes when I hit a new challenge that feels different or more, you know, scary than the last, which does happen, I think, you know, we never just perfect anything like that. Just never. Learning our kids, learning ourselves and all growing together. I remember explaining it to my husband after I'd finished talking to you and he's like, so we just kind of have to picture ourselves doing it. And I was like, yeah, like, you just, we've got this confident belief that that, that's what's going to happen as a result of what we're doing. And you just kind of feel it. And he was like, okay, but it definitely like made a huge difference for us. And the other part that you had said to me at the time was she is checking whether you love her at her worst. When she's pushing against you, it's like, even at my worst, is everything okay? And so I think I had accidentally got into, like I was giving a, I was setting a boundary and I was being, I wasn't repeating myself, but I was getting cold in doing that. Like quite like, this is the rule. We're going to get in the bath and kind of like, just not in a very fun way. And she's kind of pushing back to check, like, can you handle what I'm putting down? And I was kind of getting a bit, like, I wasn't firm with her, but it wasn't my natural, like, Cleo would say to me, are you kangry, mummy? If I yeah, did that, I like that tell. real, that real kind tell. of. Absolutely. And you can feel it, right? And our body language says so much. Like there's photos I've looked back on now when our second born came along and our toddler was doing the full blown, I'm having like a million breakdowns about this new baby being born. And I thought I was being like so calm, but I remember some of those moments just being, and there's actually this photo where I'm brushing my teeth. So I, at the time, and I probably look like that like 90% of the time while I was trying to navigate a baby and a toddler because I'm like, no, um, yeah, mommy's here. Like, but I'm like, I'm like raging inside. <laughs> It's so, and it made such a difference. I remember texting you after the bath and being like, like, it wasn't perfect. Everyone still cried at some point, but like, we were moving forward. It didn't feel like we were stuck in this stalemate of like, I'm telling you to get in, you're saying you're not going to, and we're just really stuck there. It made such a difference. And I think like, like I've heard other people sort of compare it to like, I guess that whole com- like co- concept of like the CEO vibe or whatever. Like, and I mean, look, I don't know. I've never really been under like a legit CEO. And I sort of thought maybe like that's that lack of warmth that, you you know, you want someone to lead you, but you also don't want the lack of warmth. So like you want to take charge of your team, but you also want to say, you know, like, and that's a tricky one to be like, it's sort of like, how do you, because they can feel both those things. They can either feel you're rattled or you are withdrawing because you're trying. And it's also okay. Like that's one of the things I, I would say, like, 
in sort of my field or what I've done my PhD around is about what they call reflective parenting like functioning and what that really means in like like normal terms is ability as a parent to hold yourself your needs your desires your things in mind and simultaneously holding the desires thoughts and things that your toddler's trying to communicate or child's trying to communicate in mind and that's a hard thing to do but it doesn't have to then be perfect because it's sort of based on a relationship where you have needs they have needs you have desires they have desires um, and you don't have to forfeit all of yours for them and they don't have to forfeit all of theirs for you and that's a it is a daily thing so I don't think it's ever meant to be perfect or sound perfect or be perfectly scripted I think it's more understanding what's actually unfolding and you're not trying to sort of extinguish behaviors or manage a child you're trying to have a relationship where you learn how to communicate better and you learn how to you know I prefer that I sort of feel like well then there's always room for growth it's not like oh we've come to a point where I don't know this kid's too far gone or I'm you know like it sort of feels a little bit more hopeful every day I love that and I remember you telling me um do you know that some of those strategies like those real kind of control a child or like, like enforce kind of behavior can work to some extent in the younger years like if your child is scared of you you know the more you're kind of trying to dominate you can to some extent but it's not, not till they get to like seven eight that like that doesn't work in the long term like is that something you would still well for sure because I guess like if you look at it and if you do look at the research like there's that sort of relationship um what we'd call sort of attachment um you know psychological and developmental approach which is really what all the research is pointing towards you know and then really we've cast ourselves back to the years and years before where but it's sort of more that behavior is sort of like we extinguish behaviors we manage behaviors we um, the way we extinguish them is through sources of like consequences or punishments or you know and like have you ever heard that quote like uh, why would anyone do better when they're like you know feeling terrible inside or how can they do better if they feel worse that sort of concept and it's similar like if you're a human who functions as a human even if you're an adult and you've got all the capacities of your form like well some of us or most of us are working to have all the capacities of our forebrain like logic and reasoning and self-control and things like that and somebody still threatens you to do better but you feel worse it's, it's never it's never our best is it so yeah and I think also if it's, a, if it's a, um I've heard people talk about you know it's a relationship thing so like if like somebody you're like a hubby asks you to do something you really don't want to do sometimes you're like oh I can't be flagged doing that but because we're sort of in a partnership in a relationship that's something I sometimes will do to you know like the relationship is everything to the child but the relationship is everything to us as well and I think yeah. The relationship outlasts like strategies that work for certain ages so and also if you've got a stronger willed child like really good luck like really really good luck because the uh, the breakdown in the connection that you feel with each other and their need to push even harder because they feel more disconnected like I remember trying with our firstborn like you know this is the, the time out step you sit here you wait here and all that happened was a whole new fight about the step like I was going from like you know, we don't touch that. And now we have to sit here and wait. And then I'd be like, no, sit back down. And I'd be like, this does not feel like, not that it needs to feel good, but it felt like a waste of time. Do you know what I mean? It felt yeah. like a lot of energy. 
And all I had was this little person who was then giggling and like probably releasing stress responses and pushing further against me. And it would just spiral all day long. And it was until I sort of took, I was to go, oh, actually we're on the same team. I can't let you draw on the wall. I'm gonna help you stop. Would you like a sponge? Shall we, shall we, shall we clean it together? Um, you know, or like, I'm right here with you. I'm, I'm gonna help you move now. We're in this together. Like it just sort of feels also much more manageable, I think, or more productive, I'd say. And then definitely as they get older, I would say, kids are smart, right? Like what, what happens if they're then afraid, they might start to hide or or lie or pull away or tell you mistruths or whatever. And like, that's one thing I have noticed, like no way are we perfect parents, no way are we've got these perfect angel children. But one thing we're always quite surprised about now that our kids are in sort of primary school is how honest and open they are with us, even when things go wrong or badly, or they know they've done something that wasn't, you know, straight away. Like we never have to hear from a teacher or another parent. We hear it directly from them. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a lot of trust, you know, like being maintained that they're not going to be completely, you know, torn to shreds sort of thing. Yeah, that you are on their team. Yeah, and that it's okay, like that, you know, yes, there's going to still be like knock-on effects to those things. We can't just, you know, we're not rescuing kids or anything, but they know that like we're going to work through that together or we're going to yeah. own whatever's been going on together, you know, and that's the same as in toddlerhood. We're not excusing behaviour, that we're we're leading them, we're, you know, I wouldn't call it punishment or consequences, but we are sometimes saying, I'm going to, I'm going to help you move now, I'm not going to let you continue to do that. Like we're, we're doing what they probably call you know, natural or logical follow-throughs, I guess. Yeah. And I like that because I did also try like the threats or the consequences, like, well, you're not going to have this. And it just, it doesn't work in the long, you know, it doesn't work in the short term, I would say. Like I couldn't come up with something that even meant anything to a toddler that then we didn't have a fight about when I took that thing away or, you know, it just didn't well, I think feel. it's also this whole con, like this, this real reminder that like toddlers, adults work top-down brain where we've got logic reasoning, we stop, think, act, come up with all these reasonable things that would unfold. And a toddler doesn't have that capacity. So when you're trying to do all these lessons, and this is one thing I remember speaking to you about years ago, is about the parent agenda. So in traditional sort of models of parenting, it's all about giving lessons and making sure you're teaching them right from wrong and morals and, and manners and, you know, all these things. And like, really, we're trying to do to a toddler's brain what they don't have the capacity for yet. They work from bottom up. So anything that they've um you know say dysregulated it's usually from their body like it's always coming reactive first impulsive first and then like you know they're burrowing out the top of our brain to help them so really it's a lot more if they see it happening if they watch it happening they're learning much more by watching us say you know thank you so much thank you know saying thank you on behalf of them like they are absorbing everything as they as it plays out which is actually like terrifying when you start to see the, then becoming an older version and you're like, oh, I really see a lot of me in there. <laughs> like, I resonate with that I so do. much though because I remember sitting, having, taking my eldest for a coffee at about this age and I insisted that she say, not for a coffee, obviously, she was having a baby tuna, <laughs> but I was, I insisted that she say thank you to the lady at the time and she couldn't do it and we sat at this coffee shop like, for so long, not drinking this stupid baby Chino because I was like, no, I've said you'll say thank you, you know, back before I really embodied this stuff. And 
it was just horrific. Like, it was a standoff forever. We've all been there. I think we've all been there. Like I also in food related things remember vividly, like she was only about 15 months or something. And there was only one thing left on her plate. Like, and this is the thing, I think that all of the stuff I've been doing and the research, this is why I've sort of like really linked up with you because it's so like complimentary because there I was trying to control the food situation. I was like, well, there was smarty, someone had given her for Easter or something or a, yes. a Easter egg or something. And I was like, well, we'll break off one of these chocolates being really like rational, reasonable. This is, this is totally reasonable. If she can eat the last thing she can have, she did not budge. And then I felt like, oh, I just really wanted to give you this chocolate. Like it's your first chocolate. Yeah. Like I just I remember throwing the thing in the bin, like really annoyed. Like, and I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, it's such a journey. And this is why I don't want any parent to ever feel like, oh, all these experts have perfected everything. Like, absolutely not. Like, yeah, no way. On the go still. And I really like to identify with families because it's, I don't think it's ever also meant to look one way. Every single family is different. And I don't think everything, you know, to one family, something might feel really inorganic. So then there's another version of that that's still healthy for the toddler's brain, still healthy for the parent's well-being that we need to figure out, you know? Yeah. And the toddlers are so different. Oh, children are so different. Right? I think about now, I've never insisted that my youngest say thank you. And she says thank you, like, sometimes excessively, like, when we're not even giving her things. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> settle down now. So it's like. <laughs> Yeah, it's so interesting to see their different personalities, but also our different approaches and how much it doesn't become an issue. I think like, I think that's one of the things I've also learned is like, I don't have to teach her and tell her what to do. I can just kind of like meet with her and like she'll learn these things. Don't you find as well, like, and this is what I find so interesting about like that the whole concept of birth order and there are some studies around it, but I actually think like one of my core messages over the last few years and even what my PhD really is about, like one of my main, like even my articles I've written is all about like basically do less, like observe more, you know, grow as a person yourself and show respect yourself and things like that. And then do less, do less teaching, do less over parenting, do less parent agenda of how they should be and how they should act and things like that. Not to say we're neglectful or permissive, but I do think there is something in that cycle that happens where yeah like we can then free them because I, I you know they often say oh the third born raises themselves but like I would honestly say like she, our third she's a toddler now she's three of course she's been a three-year-old but I am so much less rattled and it's not necessarily even just having the knowledge and stuff it's just you know I don't know it's just the focus of trying to get it all right and everything yeah. to really erode for you as well and then sometimes just stepping back a bit like breathing space you know and yeah it could just sort of like undo a few cycles that start that wouldn't have started like it's quite an interesting to consider I I agree so much and I think food is the same like the less that we don't have to talk about nutrition we don't have to teach health messages like our kids are learning from what we do they're learning you know from how we eat as a family you actually have to yeah do less I think that's really and how cool is that? like, but it's, it's, it's such a cool message because it's like, actually, guys, you're off the hook a bit more than you think. But yeah. as as humans, it's hard to not be feeling like we've got all the ducks in the row in control and stuff. So it's actually a hard thing to do, even though it sounds really simple. It is quite yeah. hard. To do. And that's where I think that reflection part is. And that's probably I would say my main sort of work that I do is really helping that bird's eye view part for parents so that they can come out of it 
and I even speak to people for me because I am just still in my own family to just get those bird's eye view moments where you can and I think that's what we've done together over the years is having these conversations that then just brings you out a bit and then actually some of the things start to settle without so much like I don't give you like tip one tip two tip three yeah. tip four, like that feels too prescriptive for me and you wouldn't ever have a family getting me give all the same exact yeah I remember discussing that with you over a margarita earlier in the year about having that bird's eye view and us all being like, oh, oh, yeah. the best way to sort out your parenting dilemmas. <laughs> um, my final question for you, what is for dinner tonight in your household? Have you done a menu for tonight or are you flying by the seat of your pants? That is such a good question and I'm so glad you've asked it at this time of day so I've still got time <laughs> because <laughs> I, have, I have no idea. We have nothing in the fridge. It's Friday and the girls, Fridays are crazy. So like the girls have like a whole bunch of stuff right up until 6.30. So like a whole bunch of things that happen on Fridays, dance and recitals and a whole bunch of stuff at the moment. And so, yeah, I think I might send Kieran to do that. <laughs> might give him a job. Good luck, Javi. <laughs> Thank you so much for being my official first guest. Can you tell the people where they can find you? Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for having me. I love chatting to you. We could probably chat all day, so we'll have to do this again. Um, uh, but, yeah, you can I was going to say, I had to wrap it up because we yes, are like. I know. And you'll have to, like, cut some things out. <laughs> but you can find me. So I'm Mandy, and you can find me on Instagram at Raised Toddlers, and you can find me on my website, www.raisedtoddlers.com.au. And uh, my offerings, the best one of the lot is really our membership, quite similar to you know what Dr. Kyla offers and just coming and asking all your toddler questions, development questions, understanding what development is driving the behaviours you've seen and just decoding a lot of toddler stuff, getting that bird's eye view. And I also do do one-on-one -on -one consults and we've got a team that does as well. So if you ever just want to get some light in a situation that feels a bit too, yeah, like you're not really sure where you're going with it, you can always book a consult as well. Um, so, yeah, absolutely get in touch. We'd love to support you guys. You're the best, man. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Kai. A huge thanks for tuning in and listening to my podcast. This is all brand new for me, so I'd love to hear your feedback. Give me a review or send me a DM. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And above all, I'd really love you to hit that subscribe button to keep listening. Thanks.